Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting from Los Angeles. We begin with the latest about Sunday's mass shooting at a church in Orange County. One person, an adult male, was killed and five others were wounded when a gunman opened fire at a lunch banquet at the Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods. The banquet was held by a largely Taiwanese-American congregation. The gunman was overpowered by members of the congregation who were able to restrain him using an extension cord before law enforcement arrived. Here is Orange County Under Sheriff Jeff Halleck. That group of churchgoers displayed what we believe is exceptional heroism and bravery in intervening to stop the suspect. They undoubtedly prevented additional injuries and fatalities. One churchgoer tells the LA Times he saw the church's pastor hit the gunman with a chair while he was reloading his weapon. That's when other members of the congregation tackled the suspect. The hospitalized victims range in age from 66 to 92. Four were described as being in critical condition, although the severity of their injuries is unknown at this time. The suspect, who hasn't been identified, is described as an Asian male in his 60s. Authorities say they recovered two firearms at the scene and are still trying to determine a motive. It's unclear if the alleged shooter had any connection to the church. The shooting stunned many in the suburban Orange County community which is made up mostly of senior citizens. Several mourners, including Jordan Poblet, left flowers near the church. He spoke to KCAL 9 TV. It's just overwhelming to know that this happens in your backyard, you know. I want to offer my support and condolences for sure. The Orange County attack came one day after 10 people were killed in a mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. That shooting in Buffalo was carried out by an 18-year-old who showed his support for white supremacy in online postings. It's the latest example of the rise in domestic terrorism in this country. Here in California, two Bay Area men were arrested and charged last year with plotting to blow up the headquarters of the California Democratic Party. Prosecutors say the men plan to launch their attack on or after Inauguration Day. In an effort to understand why, KQED reporters Julie Small and Alex Hall interviewed their families and friends and reviewed hundreds of pages of court documents. Ian Rogers owned an auto repair shop in downtown Napa, fixing Jaguars and Land Rovers for wealthy wine country clients. Jared Copeland used to work for Rogers at his shop as a mechanic, and the two often lifted weights together at a nearby gym. In the weeks after Joe Biden's win in the 2020 presidential election, court records show the men vented to each other in encrypted messages about their outrage and support for President Donald Trump. Just before Thanksgiving, Rogers texted Copeland, I think right now we attack Democrats, their offices, etc., Molotov cocktails and gasoline. Copeland responded, we need more people, bro. Gonna be hard. Two days later, Rogers sent Copeland the address of the California Democratic Party office and wrote... Take a brick, break a window, pour gas in, and light. But that plan was interrupted. 
These are the pipe bombs seized by Napa County Sheriff's deputies when they arrested Ian Benjamin Rogers. Just five days before Inauguration Day, law enforcement searched Rogers' business and home, where they found Nazi paraphernalia, books on making explosives, thousands of rounds of ammunition. 49 weapons, a white privilege card, and more. The day after Rogers' arrest, prosecutors allege, Copeland contacted the leader of a militia they both belonged to and was told to delete his communication with Rogers. When the FBI showed up at Copeland's house, they say, those messages were missing from his phone. Six months later, agents arrested Copeland in Sacramento. Rogers and Copeland now face multiple federal and state charges. The FBI says their case is part of a nationwide surge in domestic violent extremism. There is absolutely an uptick. We are seeing an increase in both the level of violence and the number of individual actors since the summer of 2020. John Blair is the assistant special agent in charge of counterterrorism at the agency's San Francisco field office, which investigated Rogers and Copeland. Blair declined to comment on the ongoing case, but KQED spoke to an anonymous tipster who mailed a package to the FBI warning them Rogers was heavily armed and had threatened violence. And prosecutors allege that Copeland and Rogers belonged to a California offshoot of the Three Percenters, an anti-government movement whose members were arrested in connection to the Capitol insurrection. The Southern Poverty Law Center says at least 45 anti-government groups, including four militias, are currently active in the state of California. But Blair says simply belonging to an extremist group isn't a crime. We don't care what you believe because we're not allowed to care what you believe. The tipping point, he says, is when a person makes specific plans to carry out violence. It's the difference between somebody saying, they really ought to go out and get that guy and teach him a lesson, and somebody saying, I'm going to go out and get that guy and I'm going to teach him a lesson. Prosecutors say Copeland and Rogers crossed that line. But their friends and family told us they were just blowing off steam. He never was going to do it. That's Ian Rogers' wife, Yulia Rogers, speaking from the doorway of her home in Napa. It's just ridiculous for me <laughs> because I knew him. He was maybe texting something stupid things to his friends, but it was like maybe little boys, like playing, I don't know. Cliff Martin says Ian Rogers doesn't belong in jail. Ian is not a terrorist. He's not a threat to the public. Martin's a retired tool salesman Rogers bought equipment from for years. He had too much to lose to do something like that. It just, this doesn't make sense. Rogers faces a statutory maximum of 45 years in prison. Copeland faces 25. I don't think Jared realized the severity behind the conversation. Copeland's cousin, Novice Dublin, says Copeland's family in Kentucky was shocked at the charges. He says it just didn't sound like Jared. Growing up, he wasn't the one who was out hunting and fishing and trying to figure out how to take 30 firecrackers to a pop bottle and make it blow up. That was the rest of it. Copeland's attorney says his client has entered a no-contest plea and is awaiting sentencing. Rogers could enter a plea as early as this month. The two men remain in custody. For the California Report, I'm Julie Small in San Francisco. And I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. 
a young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice, fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Our bodies! Our choice! Our bodies! Over the weekend, abortion rights rallies, large and small, were held across California, sparked by worries that the Supreme Court will soon overturn Roe v. Wade. In downtown L.A., crowds gathered in front of City Hall and heard from a variety of speakers promising to fight to protect the right to choose and blasting anti-abortion opponents. Governor Gavin Newsom has vowed to make California a bastion of reproductive freedom, increasing access to services to women who might travel to California for an abortion. State State Senator Sidney Comlogger, a Democrat from Los Angeles, says California must play a national role in the struggle to preserve abortion rights. She spoke to me at the Los Angeles rally. Job number one for California is to create a playbook that we can share to show and to incentivize states to step up to protect women since it seems that the Supreme Court can't do that. What does that mean, though, in terms of California resources, California dollars? It's how you leverage the largest that is your state budget. We can figure out so many levers to pull. I want California to be a reproductive safe haven, a sanctuary state for women across the country and the world. And you want the infrastructure put in place to do that, right? I want funding for the infrastructure to be put in place to do that. Last week, Governor Newsom proposed a $125 million reproductive health care package, including $40 million in grants to reproductive health care providers. And that's the California Report for Monday, May 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.